All right. <laughs> and we're not going to watch the World Cup. Yeah, that's so anticlimactic. Hey, everybody. It's good to see you. My name is Brian, one of the pastors here at the Summit. So we start with that video tonight uh, for three reasons. One, uh, to recognize that we still love America, soccer, American soccer, bratwurst, fireworks, anything else that's American, we support, even though we're having church in the middle of the game. And like Andy said, we are showing the game uh, afterwards, which leads me to the second reason that we showed that video. Um, do not spoil what happened. I turn off my phone. If you have not turned off your phone and you're going to get a Sports Center update or something like this, I talked to people last week and I told them that we were going to record this and show that afterwards. Um, several people said, okay, the one condition of me showing up is that this is not ruined for me in the middle of church. And so I'm going to tell you, we got some soccer hooligans in our church. And uh, if you spoil it for them, it might not go well for you, okay? Brooks Frederick, Grace Wiggins, they may cut you, and uh, don't say I didn't warn you, okay? So turn off your alerts. Don't let anybody know. I'm hoping somebody doesn't come running in in 10 minutes, like, telling us what happened. But if they do, we can all kind of attack them like a big soccer mob and really get into the spirit of the World Cup. Now, here's the real reason that I gave this, um, is I think that what you just saw there really is kind of the perfect representation of the heart of the passage that we're going to be studying tonight in the book of Philippians. What we've been looking at in Philippians, we've been calling this um, the cause, where we've been kind of asking the question, what is the great cause that you were created for? What is it that you um, are meant to give your life away to? We're all giving our lives to something. We all have this kind of priority system. And when kind of catch you up, what we've talked about is the author of this letter, Paul, has said the great cause of your life is meant to be the gospel. It's meant to be the good news, that's all the gospel means, the good news that's the heart of the Christian faith that says that God so identifies and enters into uh, the brokenness, the sinfulness, uh, just the mess of humanity in the world around us, that he enters into it to a point that he actually goes to a cross and takes it upon himself. He goes to a cross and he takes on the full consequences of brokenness and sin onto himself, and he dies And he resurrects, declaring that he is victorious over the greatest enemies of humanity, Satan, sin, death, and hell, and and declares that this, uh, his grace and his love and his mercy can be unleashed and uh, advanced uh, through humanity and to the ends of the earth. We've said that you, kind of living like that's true, you believing that's true, you advancing that to other people so they know it's true, is supposed to be the supreme cause of your life. Now, tonight... What Paul is going to tell you is this cause that you are meant to live out is not meant to be individualistic, but communal in nature, okay? Not individualistic, which is hard for us to think about because a lot of times in America, when we think about spirituality, we think about it kind of very much in individualistic terms. It's kind of like tennis, swimming, uh, golf. It's like a solo sport. And so it's me and God, me and my prayer life, me and my devotional life, me and my church life. I show up to church to be fed to go home and kind of go about my daily life. And what you're going to see here is that's not really an accurate representation of what Paul says the Christian faith is all about. It's more of a team sport. It's more communal in nature. In fact, that's kind of the reason that we showed this video is because it actually captures one of the primary images that Paul gives in this, in this uh, passage that we just read. We just read, he says, that we are meant to strive. He says this in verse 27. We are striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. In the original language that Paul wrote that in Greek, he, he, the word he uses there is soon athleto, which you don't even have to know Greek to understand what he says. The soon part is where we get synthesis from in our language. It means together. And the athleto part is where we get the word athlete from. And so the image that he gives of the church, this thing you're participating in right now, is like a team of athletes kind of locking arms 
others, joining together, doing whatever it takes, sacrificing for one another, bleeding for the cause, for the sake of whatever victory is for them. And so, I think that really what we're going to see tonight is tremendously good news for for many of us. I mean, a lot of you are here tonight, um, you have all sorts of kind of uh, conceptions of maybe what this thing is that we're even a part of? You know, are we talking about, um, you know, the church? You know, some of you have positive connotations. Some of you have negative connotations. Some of you, you know, have kind of bought into, like, the way the church is portrayed in Hollywood movies as it's always portrayed, where it's kind of this conspiracy. It's like this institution where kind of old men in long robes hide in secret rooms and talk about all sorts of conspiratorial stuff. And tonight, what you're going to get a really clear picture of is the church really isn't any of that. It's not a, a conspiracy. It's not an event. It's not an institution. Before it's anything else, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a team. It's a team of men and women locking arms for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. And I think that, like I said, is really good news for you because I know even some of you, you're here, you're kind of checking out what is your relationship going to be with the church? And I'm not sure what your experiences were growing up uh, with the church. And I I think, you know, as much as we as a culture talk about sort of our individualistic tendencies and as much as technological advances in our culture are geared towards kind of feeding into those individualistic tendencies, <coughs> thank you very, very much. I'm not sure how the next 25 minutes is going to go, but uh, hopefully well. We'll see. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate that. Uh, I'm glad my uh, cold could be mic'd for all of you. It's going to be mic'd and podcasted, so um, you're welcome to those of you who listen online as well. <coughs> That as much as we kind of, you know, it seems like the entirety of American life seems to feed into our desire for individualism. I mean, the reality is, is you do kind of see a video like the one that we just watched. And there's some part of you that really does long to be part of something bigger than yourself. You want to be part of something that, you you know, is is bigger than you could obtain on your own in isolation, as an individual. And really what you're going to see tonight is Paul's going to say that longing is a good one. And that longing is meant to be met uh, in this community, in this family, in this team called the church. And so here's kind of what Paul's going to do then. In in the verses that we just read, he's almost like a a coach. Um, We're going to have a lot of sports analogies here tonight, which is funny because probably all the people who really love sports are at the bars, like watching the soccer game right now. But we have a ton of sports analogies, or some of you are just you know, you just, you love prioritizing the gospel in the church and you're here. So thank you for being here. Um, but we have a lot of sports analogies and Paul, he's like a coach. He's like a coach. who's kind of like, okay, let me tell you about this team called the church. Let me tell you kind of three important things you need to understand. If you're going to be on this team, if you're going to understand this team, if you're going to commit to this team, I want you to, but I want you to understand what it is that you're signing up for. And that's basically all the verses 27 through 30 are. So here's the first thing he kind of tells you about this team called the church is first, he says, it is a focused community. It is a focused community. Now, typically, any community that we join or are part of has some sort of defined win in place. So, you know, again, if you sign up for a sports team, usually the win is uh, winning the game or winning the league. If you sign up uh, to be part of a business team, if you're part of a team of business, you uh, have in mind, okay, we're going to make a certain amount of money uh, or we're going to innovate in our industry in a particular way. And Paul says we need to have a win for the church as well. And so he starts off this passage, verse 27, where he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's what he's doing. He is defining the win for the church. And he's saying for them only, when he says only there, it's, even, it's kind of fuller than that. It's not just like, um, I don't know, it's, it's easy to just kind of breeze by that. But he's saying like, do this one thing. Like if you can't do anything else, 
do this. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, that could be a little bit confusing because you'd be thinking to yourself, wait, so are you telling me that I need to live a life when you think worthy, like that earns the grace and the love and the affection of God? I mean, that goes against everything else that he's said up to this point. That's not what he's saying. He doesn't have so much uh, in mind uh, kind of earning, uh, but kind of responding. When he says live worthy of the gospel, not so much earning as much as it is responding, responding to what it is that God has done in their lives. He, he's kind of instilling within them and instilling within us an identity that comes with Christ. Good coaches, they do this all the time, don't they? They say, okay, guys, you're professionals or you're champions or you're excellent. Uh, play like it. That's basically what Paul is saying. Okay, through Christ, you guys are forgiven and loved and holy and blameless, and the grace of God has been showered upon you. Now live like that's true. That's basically what it is that he's saying. So the most important thing for us as the church, the one thing he wants us to do is to live lives that respond to the gospel and advance the gospel in the sphere of influence that we've been entrusted with. Now, we really, let's even go deeper. This kind of opening line is very, very kind of rich. He says, um, let your manner of life. Do you see that? Look at verse 27. We went through only, and we talked about be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You see that middle part where it says, um, let your manner of life. Now, here's the interesting thing about this, is that that, in English, that's one, two, three, four, five words. In Greek, that's actually a single word. And it's actually the first time in this entire letter that Paul tells basically us as the readers to do something. It's the first time he gives a command. And here's the word he gives here. It's polystuiste. You want to say that three times fast? Polystuiste. Now, again, you don't have to kind of understand Greek to understand what he's saying. That first part, polis, is where we get the word kind of policy or polity from. In Greek, it means city or it means citizens. And so if you actually translated this very kind of fully and literally, he would say, do this one thing. Live as citizens of the gospel or as citizens of Jesus, as worthy of the gospel of Jesus. What he's kind of drawing upon is something that we as Christians have believed and identified with uh, for centuries, that as we do life in a city like Denver, what we actually believe is there's two cities that kind of coexist within Denver. There's the city of Denver that we love very much, and we love doing life within, but there's also the city of God. There's the city of man, Denver, and there's also the city of God. And the city of God is composed of the people of God who do life as though Jesus Christ is actually Lord. When I say life, I mean like real, tangible, actual life. When we're talking your marriage life, we're talking your sex life, we're talking your dating life, we're talking your business life, we're talking your family life, we're talking your neighbor life, we're talking your recreating life, we're talking your relaxing life, we're talking your TV life. Whatever it is, we are trying to do the entirety of life as citizens of the gospel city. We are demonstrating the goodness of what life looks like when Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, The reason I think that's so important is what you need to see in this opening verse is Paul, like a good coach, is not just defining the win for his team, but he's also kind of drawing up the play to tell them how to do this, okay? So a good coach isn't just like, okay, score touchdowns, right? And go do it. Okay, ready? Break. No, what does a good coach do? He draws up plays and he says, okay, here's how we're going to go and do it. Paul's the same way. Okay, we want you to advance 
the gospel of Christ. Okay, I want to do that. I take that seriously. How am I supposed to do that in my everyday life? Okay, well, here's how you do it. You live, as a man, you live a manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's giving you the how, the play, in terms of how to make this happen. Now, for those of you who don't like sports, here's your gift. We're going to leave the sports analogies for about 30 seconds. I'll be back here for those of you who do love sports, okay? Um, I think that kind of what he's offering here, um, what, you know, I was trying to kind of think of what, what this means or what, what does this look like or, or how does this practically work itself out. And, and what it made me really think of um, as I was thinking about this week is um, a, a, a Viewmaster. I don't know if any of you had a Viewmaster as a kid. And I was going to spend 10 minutes trying to explain what this looks like, but then I got a picture. So uh, here's what it looks like. Do any of you have one of these as a kid? Do you remember these? Um, so we love these. Uh, me and my family love these. And uh, in fact, I got to tell you one story about Eric. It doesn't really feed in anything I have to say, but it's just, uh, it's a great story. Um, Eric loved this thing so much. You know, the way it works is you have those slide things. Uh, you put it into the, the red thing and you'd flip it around and you could get pictures of all sorts of cool and beautiful places. And um, I remember one time, my family, we took this road trip. We took this, or we took a vacation to Yosemite uh, National Park, which is like the most beautiful place in the entire world. And we're standing in the middle of Yosemite National Park and we're like taking in Half Dome and it's absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. And we're all looking up and then I look over at Eric, and he's actually like holding up his Viewmaster with slides of Yosemite in the middle of Yosemite National Park. That's how much Eric loved the Viewmaster. Um, <laughs> that's a really that's a true story. <laughs> we were talking about it this week, but. Here's the really interesting thing about a Viewmaster is that when you're outside of Yosemite National Park, and even when you were somewhere kind of really nasty or disgusting or, you know, you're just on the road, boring road trip to get to the, wherever you were trying to, to vacate, you know, whether you're on the interstate and you're seeing just nothing but cows and it was flat. And if you grew up in Colorado, you're going through eastern Colorado, and it's just, you know, boring as can be. I mean, here's the thing. As something like this gives you the opportunity to have a glimpse of a far more beautiful land. It gives you even the opportunity of a glimpse of where it is you're trying to get to. And I think that as we do, li- as we do life as citizens of the city of God, as we coexist within the city of man, within the city of Denver, as we put on display the goodness of what life looks like, when Jesus Christ is Lord, we provide for a hurting and broken world around us a glimpse of the goodness of the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. We give people in the midst of kind of doing life on the interstate of eastern Colorado a glimpse of what Yosemite National Park can actually look like. We give people an opportunity to see like tangibly how believing and following the gospel of Jesus Christ and letting it shape and influence our lives really can change everything for us. And we really do believe that as you do that and as you put that on display and as you kind of do life as a citizen of the city of God in the life of a hurting city of man, people notice and they're changed and the gospel advances. And I know for many of you in this room, you really want to do that. You really care about advancing the gospel. And it probably is not maybe happening the way that you want it to have happen. You look at the city and you look at your neighborhood and you look at your job and you look at your family and you look at, look at everything that's around you and you think to yourself, why am I not doing better and why am I not accomplishing more and why isn't this thing moving faster? And look what Paul's telling you. He's telling you that by you doing normal life, with gospel intentionality. We're talking, I mean, maybe with your money, instead of being stingy and trying to take from everybody, you you demonstrate the generosity of the gospel and you're generous with your money. We're talking uh, men, those of you who date, 
rather than um, you know, trying to view a woman as an object that's meant to be manipulated and taken from and used for the sake of kind of emotional and physical pleasure, you instead kind of treat her as the image bearer of God that she is and honor her and respect her and commit to her and love her uh, and, and do like that that puts the gospel on display. Or for ladies who, who might be kind of in a dating place, instead of kind of looking at men as these kind of uh, idiots to tear down and manipulate and to criticize, like instead to honor and respect and follow. Or for those of you who have families, rather than looking at your family as this kind of intrusion on the life that I always wanted and I'm kind of going crazy and I don't want this thing, like this gift from God to honor and love and lead and shepherd and respect. Or maybe for those of you who are bosses, uh, rather than seeing employees as kind of these uh, indentured servants that you get as much from and you kind of, you know, hold their employment over them, but they don't perform the way that they're meant to perform. Uh, instead, you kind of actually know about their lives and you love them and you care for them and you take care of them. Like, as the gospel is tangibly put in display and whatever kind of sphere of influence God has entrusted you with, it advances because you're giving glimpses into the goodness of what life looks like when Jesus Christ is Lord. So Paul says to focus on this. And to do this, and you'll be kind of amazed at what happens when you unleash the gospel and let it out of its cage. So he says, do this one thing. Live as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, he doesn't just say we're supposed to be focused as a community. Here's the second thing he says. He says that we are going to be opposed as a community. Okay, we are going to be opposed. Now, this is a little bit difficult, and we we, kind of really hate uh, hearing this. Uh, we hate conflict, suffering, opposition, confrontation. It's why probably all of you know somebody or you have experienced um, somebody breaking up with you or a friend via text. It's why, you know, it's, you're more likely to complain about your boss on Facebook rather than in person because we just don't like kind of anything messy entering into our world. And, and what Paul says, you need to understand that if you are going to be part of this kind of team and community called the church, uh, it's going to be difficult, okay? It's going to be hard. And he tells us kind of about two things that are going to be really, really hard for us as we're part of this community. The first is this. He says, we are going to face opposition. Now look at what he writes in verse 28. He says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Now, again, kind of in any other sphere of life, um, we would be kind of used to this being normal, okay? So um, for those of you who are in business, you're used to being opposed by competitors in your business. Or for those of you who like, you know, played sports like me growing up, you know, if you were on the football team, you didn't take the field and you were like, okay, 11 versus zero, we're going to smoke these guys, right? There was another 11 lined up across you trying to oppose you from keeping you from scoring. But what Paul is saying is it doesn't work that way, uh, for the church, there will be opposition. And a lot of times in the church, we want things to be rosy and smooth and no problem, but that's not the way it works. He's saying there will be opponents. Don't let them frighten you. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going um, gonna to talk about this kind of later and deeper. Paul actually, later in the letter, he takes on his opponents head on, and so I'm just going to kind of save talking about them uh, for then. But, but here's the deal. I just think, here's why I think this is so helpful for you to understand, is... I don't know. I struggle to kind of know what to do with this. Here, here's, I don't know if this is a great application point or not. Here, here's what I just want to say to you. Like, you need to be ready to experience this. Okay? Like, you just need to be kind of like intellectually, emotionally ready to take on opposition. This is the way that it's always been. It's always been this way. That in order to accomplish great things, really in whatever sphere of life you're thinking about, there's always opposition 
against you in order to do that. In fact, I mean, 3,000 years prior to Paul writing this, I mean, uh, Aristotle, he wrote, to avoid criticism, say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. Jesus, about 20 years prior to Paul writing this, lives kind of the most influential, the most loving, the most gracious life that you could ever imagine. You're like, who could be against Jesus? And how did he die? It wasn't like, oh, he lived a nice, long age, and he was surrounded by all his followers. And, I mean, no, he, at the age of about 30, he was tried and murdered and crucified on a cross. He faced serious opposition. And so I just want you to be emotionally and, and kind of physically and intellectually ready for this. I think we're not, I don't know, I just think, I don't know how well we've done in preparing for this. I don't know how I, well I was prepared for this. I was thinking about, I was even talking to our staff this week about this. And, you know, I don't know, we're a new church. I don't know if you know this. We're a new church. Um, I got to go through, I think, what is the best kind of church planting, new church starting residency in the United States. I think it's awesome, and I think it prepared me. Um, I don't think we would exist right now if I hadn't had the, the, the amazing gift of that experience. And you know what we talked a lot about during that? We talked about preaching, and we talked about theology, and we talked about finance, finances, and we talked about entrepreneurial leadership, and we talked about casting a compelling vision. You know what we didn't talk about a single time? We didn't talk about opposition and how to handle opposition. And really, I don't know if we as a church have done a good job preparing you for opposition as well, but a lot of you are facing, a lot of you are very new to your faith, a lot of you are taking Christianity serious, taking Christianity seriously, maybe for the first time in your life, and not everyone in your circle of friends or family or employees or whatever it is, is a big fan of it. And some of you have been mocked, um, some of you have been made fun of, some of you have had people kind of make sarcastic comments, some people don't hang out with you as much anymore, some people talk about how you're not as fun as you used to be and how you, you know, it's not as much fun to go out with you because you don't drink the way you used to drink. You don't sleep around the way you used to sleep around. And you've got parents who are criticizing you because you live out here. And, you know, when are you going to get your priorities straight? Don't you need to get a career? And, you know, are you going to make enough money? And it's just like, and I don't know if we've prepared you well for that. But let me tell you, it is going to happen. It is going to happen. And, and I just want you, when it happens, we're going to talk more about it later on, but when it happens, I don't want you to freak out and I don't want you to leave and I don't want you to think that something's wrong. And I don't want you to think you're the only one. This has been the way it's been since Jesus Christ walked the earth. You will be opposed. But do what Paul says here. Do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. Okay? So he says you're going to be opposed. Second, he says, you know, as if this wasn't kind of pessimistic enough. He says, you're not just going to be opposed, but you're also going to suffer, okay? Everybody, aren't you glad you came here tonight? Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. And again, I I'm kind of making the same point over and over again, but we're kind of used to this in other spheres. You know, anytime, if you've read a biography of anybody who's accomplished great work, you know, it's never like, this went exactly the way I wanted it to do. You know, no, there's tremendous suffering in the story of anybody who has accomplished something greater. Again, let's talk about sports. If you watch the montage, let's imagine the Broncos, you know, win the Super Bowl next year. You know, as we watch the montage and celebrate like crazy in the streets of Denver, go uh, rock, riotous, um, 
in the name of Peyton Manning, winning finally his second Super Bowl. As that happens, and as the montage rolls, like, what are you going to see? Well, you're going to see that a year ago, um, you know, Peyton Manning had a ball snapped over his head in the Super Bowl on the first play. Safety, we get smoked. It's just kind of the way that it goes. People get hurt, people get injured. It's the same way in the church. If we're going to accomplish great things, we will suffer in the process. And really, again, I hope that you understand that as we are servants of Christ, a servant is not greater than its master. And so for us, we look at Christ and we say he accomplished great things and he unleashed a great love, but he suffered tremendously. We look at Paul who's writing these letters to us and he's not just kind of like, this isn't theory for him. He's writing this from prison, a Roman prison where he's awaiting his sentence and he will ultimately be murdered for his faith. Then you and I as Americans who kind of freak out when it's not like the right degree Fahrenheit in our car And something goes a little bit wrong in our lives, and it really can throw us in an absolute tailspin. And again, Paul's just kind of getting you emotionally, intellectually, physically prepared to say that part of being a part of this team is that you are going to suffer. Now, let me say this. I think you're going to suffer whether you're kind of on this team or off this team. Part of living in a broken, fallen, sinful world is we all do suffer. That's, I mean, even if you're here tonight and you don't believe anything that I've said up to this point, I mean, I think the thing that we can agree on is things are not as they should be. Things are not as we desire for them to be. And I think there's this kind of this myth that you and I, if we can acquire enough money and enough talent and enough wisdom and enough knowledge, uh, we can kind of create this completely impervious, uh, pain-free lifestyle up in the mountains, totally secluded, build a fortress, uh, separated from all the other broken fallen, hurting people who can mess up our lives. Let me tell you, even if you're a billionaire with unlimited wealth and unlimited knowledge and unlimited talent and you are able to live that lifestyle, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to suffer and you're going to die. You're going to have some sort of mutant disease start in your body and it's going to lead to you dying one day. That's not being pessimistic. That's just being absolutely realistic. It will happen. And I think here's what's beautiful about what Paul's saying here is he's saying that yes we all suffer we all in a suffering world we experience some expression of suffering but when you are on God's team when you are part of his family this team called the church the suffering has a purpose larger than just being kind of the consequence of the way that things are in fact I'm blown away by what he says here when he says it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. It has been granted to you. Like that is very kind of uncomfortable language for me because, you know, I'm thinking to myself, okay, um, it'll accidentally happen to you. Uh, If God can do anything about it, it won't happen to you. Um, But no, it has been granted to you. I think what you're seeing here is that, yes, in the larger broken, fallen world, we will all suffer. But in the family of God, suffering becomes purposeful and meaningful and hopeful because it drives us back to our Savior who has promised us that it will not always be this way. And that as we wait, in the meantime, he refines us and he changes us and he humbles us and he helps us see, as, as things are stripped away from us, from this world, he helps us see the all-sufficiency of who he is and what he can do in our lives when almost anything is taken away from us. J.I. Packer 
who's a famous kind of Christian theologian, he, he put it this way. He said, God uses chronic pain and weakness along with other afflictions as his, ch- as his chisel for sculpting our lives. Felt weakness deepens dependence on Christ for strength each day. The weaker we feel, the harder we lean, and the harder we lean, the stronger we grow spiritually, even while our bodies waste away. And so what Paul is saying here is that, yes, we are a team focused kind of on this victory, but you need to understand there's going to be opposition, and you just need to be kind of prepared for it because these are very kind of counterintuitive. Even in church, we don't really love talking about these things. We want to kind of talk about, here's how to manage your money, and here's how to be wealthy for the glory of God, and you're like, I could be on board with that. It's like the gospel is for the most difficult, most dark areas of life as well and gives hope in the midst of suffering and opposition that is so deeply painful if you've walked through it. And many of you have walked through it recently. So deeply painful. But the gospel still brings hope. Now, third, and finally, here's what Paul tells us. Okay, so we've talked about kind of this team is focused. We've defined a win. We've talked about kind of the opposition we face. And then third and finally, what Paul says is we are a persevering community. And so he's going to kind of answer the question, well, in the midst of this, like what is it that you and I do. Okay. So, uh, you know, for most of us, when things get hard or when things are difficult or when we start to suffer or when we feel opposed, you know, all of us, our natural inclination is to leave, to disappear, to retreat in isolation and despair in a cold, dark room while we watch, you know, reruns of something on Netflix. That's, that's kind of our natural propensity. But here's what he says that we're meant to do. We are meant to stand firm and we're meant to stay committed and we are meant to persevere. Look at what he says. In verse, uh, at the end of verse 27 and then into verse 28. So that whether I come to you or I'm absent. So what Paul's saying is, I'm in jail. I don't know if I'm going to get to you or not, but let me tell you what you need to do, whether I'm freed and everything goes well or if I'm murdered in here. That I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened by anything, uh, in anything by your <clears throat> opponent. So he says, if you kind of notice, he says the same thing over and over. Stand firm in one spirit. Have one mind. Strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's kind of our athletic imagery that we gave at the very beginning. Don't be frightened by anything by your opponents. Um, What this reminds me of is my favorite scene of my favorite movie that has ever been created ever, uh, Braveheart. If any of you have not seen Braveheart recently, you should. And uh, if you remember, the English cavalry are charging the Scottish line of the, the cavalry, and they got the infantry, and they got their spears, and they're running. And there's William Wallace behind the line going, hold, hold, hold. If you haven't seen this movie, this will not be a good I- illustration for you. But hold, hold, hold. That's kind of what Paul is doing for the church. Everybody's kind of freaking out, and opposition's coming in, and slander is taking place. And do you know about this, about your leaders? And do you know that person did this? that and people are disappearing and criticism is coming and people are being arrested and the leader is being arrested and thrown in jail and Paul from jail is like hold, 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 persevere, outlast, endure. It's a very difficult counterintuitive quality for our culture, but, but it's beautiful and that's what Paul calls not only that church, but our church to do as well. And I love what he says, He goes on to say that this, he's talking about the opponents. He says this, when he says this, like you guys holding and standing fast in the midst of what it is you're going through as a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. 
So he's saying that we as the church, as we stay and as we persevere and as we stay committed and united in the face of suffering and opposition, it is a sign. It is a sign. We talk a lot about this, how we in the culture, we're, su- we're a lot of times surrounded by uh, signs, kind of like small little things that point to much larger, more uh, kind of profound reality. So for example, kind of the most simple one is, you know, I'm wearing a wedding ring. The very fact that I'm wearing a wedding ring is a sign to everyone around me that I am committed to one woman for life. Or um, even as I was writing this, I was writing in a coffee shop off Colfax, and a dude walked in, like, in a tank top, which to me, I took as a sign, like, that he had a very profound confidence and what his body looks like, and that I should be able to see the entirety of it when he walks into the coffee shop. I'm not sure if that was a good decision or not. I'm not sure if it was a true sign, but it was at least a sign of kind of his internal confidence. So there's, there's all the time we're surrounded by these little signs that point to more profound realities. And he's saying, what does he say? That this, you guys staying united and committed and persevering is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of, your, uh, of, of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. The unbreakability, the strength of this team called the church is a sign of its strength. And not just a sign of its, its strength, not just a sign of your strength, of your willpower, but of your salvation, what was given to you, the salvation given to you uh, from God. And so here's, here's kind of just what I, think, what I think we need to take from this, and then we'll be done, okay? I, I think there, there's kind of um, a couple of, people I have in mind when I, when, I, when I see this, and I see this challenge from Paul, uh, I think for some of you, it's kind of difficult because I think with, with this particular action point, usually these are the people that aren't in the room. But maybe it is somebody um, that maybe that you do need to hear this. Maybe this is somebody you know that needs to hear this. But I want you, I want to just challenge you from Paul to endure. I want to challenge you to persevere. I want to challenge you to stay committed. I want to challenge you to stay part of the team. When you're able to do that, it is a sign of the strength of the salvation that you've been given. And I'm telling you, for us as pastors, I think one of the hardest things that we experience is a lot of times, um, it's, it's a weird thing, but we will kind of in the matter of a month, all the time have conversations with people that are like, I love what God's doing in my life. I love the summit. I love you guys. I'm being changed. My life is like radically, uh, you know, undone. And... Um, and then all of a sudden, like, they disappear. And, like, we never see them again. And um, I think that's a normal story in Denver. I think it's a normal story, especially for a church our age, where we're, we're kind of very noncommittal, and we say in Denver, the one thing that we're committed to is not being committed to anything. I just want to challenge you. I'm not sure what it is you're going through, but I just want to challenge you to endure and persevere and fight. I mean, all the time, I think, I think here's the challenge, is, is that probably over the next month or six months or year, for those of you in this room, a lot of you have very good reasons to leave the church. You have very good reasons for the church. In fact, I made some for you um, in case you wanted them, okay? Um, you ready? I don't feel connected. I feel overly connected and overwhelmed. Uh, there aren't enough people like me in this church. There are too many people like me in this church. Things are going so poorly. I don't really want to be part of God's church. Things are going so well. I don't really want to be part of God's church. I started dating someone. I started a job. I have new roommates. I just had a kid. I stopped dating someone. I lost my job. I, have, I hate my roommates. I'm not able to have a kid. There, there's all sorts of kind of life circumstances that all lead us to kind of saying, you know what? Like, this was just kind of a phase in my life. This just isn't for me. I'm not sure if this is exactly... And I just, I would challenge you from the words of the man in prison saying to people, being opposed and suffering, hold, stand firm, stay with one mind. 
So I don't know if that's helpful or not. Hopefully it is. But here's the deal. I think more than, um, you know, just kind of saying, we'll do this. Um, you know what I took actually from this passage was really great encouragement for us here at the summit. I think particularly, you know, for some of you in this room, um, you've been here for a long time. You know, I mean, we've only existed for three and a half years, but some of you have been here from the very beginning. Some of you moved here for this church. Some of you were here and we were meeting in a living room or we were meeting in a coffee shop or we were meeting in a small event space that way that I don't think we were even legally allowed to be meeting within. I mean, you've been here for a long time and you've been through a lot of stuff and you've experienced a lot of criticism and you've been given a lot of reasons to leave and you're here and you're here and you stand firm and you've stayed committed. And let me tell you something. That is a sign in your life. And I totally, unbelievably celebrate that for you. It is a sign of your salvation and that of God. And so I think more than, you know, just the action step being for all of you to think, okay, like how do I commit deeper and better? So many of you in this room have committed far more deeply and far more profoundly than the vast majority of the people that surround you. And one, I want to say thank you for that because it's awesome to be able to pastor a church that's full of men and women like that. But I think you need to be willing to celebrate and to look at your life, to celebrate what it is that God has done in your life as an individual and us as a community to enable the very thing that's happening right now to take place. It is a sign of salvation and that from God. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I think that's a, a good place for us to close. We're going to pray. Um, we're not just going to end there. We're, we're going to celebrate this salvation that kind of makes any of this even possible, being part of this community, this team, belonging to something larger than ourselves that has this great cause and mission for the ends of the earth. We're going to pray. We're going to take communion. We're going to sing. And we're going to do so just in, with all of that in mind. So let's pray and let's respond accordingly. God, we thank you so much um, for, I think, first and foremost, the men and women in this room who have put this on display and who have in the midst of probably a million life circumstances to leave your movement and your mission and your church um, to stand firm in one spirit with one mind, not being afraid of anything, not being frightened by opponents, not letting suffering be an excuse uh, to leave, but to endure and to persevere. And we thank you for just the sign of grace that you've brought into our community. I pray that as we are a people who are focused on the most important thing of advancing the gospel and giving a glimpse into the beauty of who you are, um, that as opposition comes and as suffering is experienced, that we would continue to write this story with our lives. And we thank you. We, we, We know that that happening is not dependent on our willpower or our strength but we lean on the unchangeable salvation that has been brought about in our hearts. So God, we celebrate that. We celebrate the work of Christ making that possible. And we love you, and uh, we're so thankful for you. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.